So we are on our third Sunday of Advent, um, and so far we have lit two candles. Uh, the first candle was a symbol of Christ, our hope. And the second candle was for the preparation of Christ, who is our salvation. Today, we remember Christ, our joy, and the angels who brought this message of joy. So in uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 8 through 15, this is what it says. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born to you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angel had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then, and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So we light this candle as a symbol of Christ our joy. And may the joyful promise of your presence, O God, make us rejoice in our hope of salvation. Father, we thank you so much for sending your Son so that we might have true and lasting eternal joy, so that we might um, live our lives as you fully intended them to be lived, free from sin and all the joy stealing of that sin. Thank you for sending your Son, our Savior, our joy. Amen. Okay, so in addition, um, this is the time in our service. We review one simple truth that we believe as Christians, and we're getting close to the end of our year. So we've been asking, okay, now that we know all these things, what do we do with it? And, and we've been asking that for the last couple of weeks, and this is kind of the conclusion of that question. So we we saw that we live according to the Spirit. We do that as we breathe, uh, spiritually breathe, right? We talk to God in our prayers and we listen to Him in our Bible reading. We see that we do that together as a community and not alone. And this is our answer for this week. How should we then live? So we see this. All Christians are disciples of Jesus. And each day for the rest of our lives, we are being trained to be more like Jesus. That means that Jesus, through other Christians, is discipling us. So that is kind of the, the truth that I want to leave you with, that to live as a Christian means that each day we are being discipled by Jesus. Through his words in the scripture, uh, through the circumstances he brings in our lives, and also very much through the other Christians he brings in our lives to encourage and strengthen and even sometimes confront us as we seek to grow to be more like Jesus every day together. So um, if you are one of the younger ones, uh, if you are uh, in third grade or younger, go ahead and join Mr. Tony for Children's Church uh, today.
Well, good morning again, Chili Bible. I have said this before, but it bears repeating because it's worth noting every year that Christmas and its celebrations bring with them, I think, an annual infusion of God's grace to our deeply lost culture and its people. As you look around, what you see is that God's grace is coming down as people remember that Christmas is about the birth of Jesus Christ. And some people, even people who aren't Christians, begin to wonder why that event, of all things, is worthy of celebration. And a great many of us go all out buying gifts this time of year. Maybe we even go a little crazy, a little overboard doing it, because the season reminds us of how much we love the people that are closest to us. We can't quite find the words to express what they mean to us until we give presents. Okay? And all that gift giving and receiving can, if we aren't careful, remind even those of us who don't care all that much about Jesus that He is God's best gift to all humanity. Christmas is a time when these and other forms of God's common grace break through and remind us and point us to our heavenly Father. And for me, I love every bit of it because the coming of this kind of grace prepares us to celebrate Jesus. It's like our whole culture just all of a sudden takes a deep breath and says, you know what? There was this guy named Jesus who was born 2,000 years ago. And his birth is something that we as a whole culture ought to celebrate. How about that? Isn't God good? And he reminds even people who don't know him, even people that reject him, that Jesus has been born. And encourages them to ask why and who he is and what all that's about. The reason I bring all this up once again is because what we're doing in this time of the year is repeating an old, old pattern. One that in fact goes back to the very first Christmas and to Jesus' own forerunner, to John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist, whether you know it or not, is the embodiment of God's grace coming and helping people get ready for Jesus. But to see that, you need to look at God's Word with me together. So if you have your Bible, um, and this is Chillicothe Bible Church, after all, right? Bible is our middle name, so we encourage you to get a Bible. Uh, if you don't have, have one, we, uh, we have some that we give away, uh, and we'd be happy to give you one. But if you're able, I invite you to stand with me in honor of God's Word and follow along as I read a portion of the Gospel of Luke. Uh, chapter 1, verses 57 to 66. This is what the Spirit of God says to us through the Word. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. 
They made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called, and he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about in all the hill country of Judea, and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Let's pray. Father, Christmas is in two weeks, and we are all excited about the coming of Christmas celebrations and the opportunity to celebrate once again the coming of Jesus in the world. Father, help us not to miss this coming. And not to miss celebrating it in the way that it deserves to be celebrated. Father, help us to listen to what the Scripture has to say to us today about John, who he was, and what he came to do that we might give appropriate honor to the one who came to announce. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Please be seated. Well, uh, as you look at this little passage together, it's just a few verses that we're looking at. There are lots of details we could examine here, but there are a couple that I want us all to focus on together. The first is that John's birth brings grace and mercy. And the first way that we see that is in the birth itself. Look at verse 58 and see how it's described. Speaking of Elizabeth, it says that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. Which sounds really high and theological, but basically, let me translate that into, into terms we can all get our arms around, okay? God had listened to the prayers of this little old lady for years and years and years. She had prayed that she wanted to have a child. For years and years she had prayed. And now she's a little old lady. And all of these seemingly unanswered prayers for her entire adult life this woman, who in our world will be eligible for the senior discount at every restaurant in town, this woman is now holding her firstborn son. What else can you call that except receiving great mercy from you? And in that, I think there's a tremendous reminder for us of what kind of God it is that we serve. Our God is a God of great mercy. One who hears even all of our impossible prayers. Not just the unlikely prayers, but the impossible ones. This is a woman who was well past, the scripture says, the age of childbearing. In other words, that ship left the harbor a while back. And she is not going to have any babies. It was obvious to her. It was obvious to her relatives. It was obvious to her husband, who is also a little old man. 
that they were not going to have any children together. And yet here they are, rocking their firstborn son in the rocking chair they need because they're old. Right? Think about this. This is, this is the God that we serve. One who enables little old women and little old men to have their firstborn child after many, many prayers. God is that good. He is that loving. He has great mercy towards all those that He loves. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, He loves you as much as it is possible for you to be loved. As much as it is possible for you to be loved, God loves you that He is a God of great But there's more to God's mercy than this. Look at the naming ceremony that takes place at the baby's circumcision. Now, normally in our culture, you know, what you need to have a name for your baby before you leave the hospital, right? So certainly within, within, you know, normally 24 hours, you've got to name that kid. They don't let you leave the hospital without the birth certificate with a name on it, right? But in an ancient culture, they didn't do that. Um, according to Mosaic law, all Jewish boy babies had to be circumcised. And they had to be circumcised on the eighth day. Uh, if you don't know what that is, ask your mother. Okay? But they had to be circumcised on the eighth day after their birth. And at this time, apparently, in Jewish culture is when sons received their name. Now, circumcision was given to Israel. It was actually given before there was an Israel. It was given to Abraham as the sign that he was part of, he was God's chosen uh, founder of a nation, and everyone after him would have to be circumcised and marked on their body with the sign of membership in God's covenant. And, and so, uh, on this day, on the eighth day, after his birth, he had to be circumcised. All boy relatives normally were also named after their after their father or after another male relative in the family. And all of this boy's relatives, this little guy, is eight days old. Just so happens, by the way, medically, that the uh, the clotting uh, agents in your blood rise on the eighth day. I wonder if God knew that. Um, but they, uh, they, they do. And uh, so God said on the eighth day, that's when you're to circumcise your, your, your boy baby. And they want to name him Zachariah after his father. Now, Zachariah is a perfectly good name. It comes from two Hebrew words. Zachar, which means remember, and Yah, which is the shortened form of Yahweh, the name of God. So he's saying, so Zechariah means the Lord remembers. And it carries the sense that God, the Lord, is a trustworthy God, one who doesn't forget his people or his covenant with them, but he will deliver them. Amen? So this is a good name. But his mother objects. And she says, no, he's going to have the name John. John means something different. In Hebrew, it is Yochanan. And it means Yahweh has given grace. 
In other words, God is not just a God who remembers, but a God whose remembering has caused him to already have acted to give grace. But there aren't any members of Zechariah whose name is Yohanan. And so culturally, you don't just do that. They're like, um, Elizabeth, I know you're an old lady, but uh, there's none of your family that's called that. I don't know if you forgot. But that, that's kind of the, the, the kind of off-to-the-side comment that's being made here, right? You don't, it, you don't have any male relatives by that name. So they go, well, I tell you what, we're going to go ask Dad. What's all in? And they asked Zechariah. And Zechariah has not spoken in over ten months. Not a word. Because remember in chapter 1, when the angel Gabriel came to announce the birth of John, uh, Zechariah's like, yeah, that doesn't happen. I'm an old man. My wife is an old lady. This is not going to occur. How do I know this is going to happen? Gabriel says, it's going to happen. Because you don't believe me, you'll be silent until after all these things happen. And so Zechariah has been playing charades with everybody for the last 10 months. And and he has a, he gets a, he's like, we put the right words, right? So they, so they bring him a writing tablet and he writes out these words. His name is John. And after 10 months of being utterly silent, praise to God who was out of Why did that happen at precisely that Because the angel said, you won't be able to talk until all these things take place. Well, all these things included Zachariah giving the impossible boy the name John, according to Gabriel's command. And so it's eight days later when he gives him the name John that now he can speak, just like the angel said. And the same gracious God who gave the boy his deeply meaningful name to Zachariah poured out more grace and restored Zachariah's voice. Because you see, that name was meant to point not only backwards to what God had done for Zechariah and Elizabeth, but also forward. Because John, this boy, this special miracle child, is meant to embody the truth in his own name and the way he lives his life in everything that God is going to do through him. He is the embodiment of the God who remembers his covenant. And because of that, has brought forth its fulfillment. He has given grace. He is the Son of God remembered. And He is the embodiment of the fact that God is Because God remembers, He gives. Amen? And He is, has this boy grow up to be the forerunner of Messiah through whom all of God's promises. His job was to be the sign of neon flashing 
this is the Messiah. God has given grace. How do you know? There He is, walking around. And this produces holy reverence. Look at verse 65. Imagine you're one of the neighbors and friends seeing this happen. You've witnessed a guy who hasn't spoken a word in ten months. All of a sudden, speaking and praising God. And this, by the way, is a couple and his wife who under any normal circumstance should not have a, a newborn at all. They're rocking their firstborn. And people then were just as intelligent as people today. They knew this was all way outside the normal course of events, right? They didn't go, well, I guess, you know, I guess if you're 80 years old, I guess you can have a baby after all. No, they knew that that didn't happen, right? And yet here they are. And it was pretty obvious to them that there were some special things going on with this little child. So what did these people do? Well, first of all, fear came on all of the neighbors. Meaning, all of a sudden, they had a holy awareness of God's work among them. They had seen some shocking things go down right in front of their eyes. And it led to this holy reverence, what the Bible here calls fear. Okay? They were, in other words, they were like Jacob. You remember when Jacob fell asleep and he had this vision of Jacob's ladder where the angels are descending and ascending up to heaven and he has this vision and he says, surely the Lord was in this place and I was not aware of it? And you're like, yeah, no kidding. You're not the most spiritually attuned dude, Jacob. But, um, <laughs> but nonetheless, okay, he has this awareness Man, I've just watched God work right in front of me. And that's what happens to all the neighbors. They watch this miraculous thing unfold right in front of them, and they're very aware all of a sudden that God is breaking through into their circumstances. All the little hairs stood up on the back of their neck. You feel me? And they looked to God with renewed awe because they were seeing his work among them in their day. And of course, they did what people do after that kind of a thing. They talked about it with everybody. You will never believe what's going on. Okay, I remember when my, my good friend, one of our missionaries, uh, Bill Allison and his wife, they have, they have, they have seven kids. Okay? They had six kids. Their, their youngest was nine. And Bill and Stacy were 47 years old. And then all of a sudden, they had Isaac, baby number seven. And when I heard, I laughed so hard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because I said, you know, think about it this way. When you walk your, your six-year-old kindergarten, Bill, you'll only be twice as old as the other parents, <laughs> right? Because this is ridiculous, right? Who has a baby at that age? Nobody. These people are way older than that. And we had enormous fun laughing at Bill and Stacy, and they're having enormous fun now with uh, grandparenting their seventh-born child. All the others are out of the house, right? It's amazing. Um, but 
people are talking about this all over. And they said, and you know, Zechariah told us this story. He said he saw an angel at the temple, and the angel told him he was going to have this miracle baby, and then they had the miracle baby. And then he couldn't talk for 10 months. And then all of a sudden, when we went to the circumcision party, and he had his bris, and they named the kid John, even though none of their family is named John, all of a sudden, Zachariah could talk. I wonder what that kid is going to do. None of my kids got an angel that showed up to talk to me about him. Can you imagine? God's hand has got to be on that kid. And then, of course, this boy is growing up. And as he's growing up, the Spirit of God builds this kid from the womb. So he is not like all the other kids on the playground. Amen? And people are talking. So uh, there's an opportunity with John for renewal. What are they saying? According to verse 66, they are saying, What then will this child be? A miracle baby announced by, his, by an angel with all these circumstances around him? It's not normal. People are wondering what purpose God might have for his life. Is it possible that he is the great prophet that Moses predicted? Moses said, one day there will be a prophet like me who will rise up from among you and you're to listen to everything he says. Maybe he's the Elijah who Malachi predicted. That would be exciting. Wouldn't that be amazing? Maybe he's that. Maybe he's not the prophet Moses predicted. Maybe he's just another prophet like those in the Old Testament who last spoke to our people over 400 years ago. Even if he's not the great prophet, even if he's not the Elijah that Malachi predicted, maybe he's a prophet like we haven't had in 400 years. Some people are even starting to wonder. In fact, they're going to continue to ask this question until John goes to prison. If this boy could possibly be the Messiah. They don't know yet. But they can see all the unique things here. And what all might be entailed in Luke's statement for the hand of the Lord was with him isn't clear, but it's clear to everybody that meets John that he is marked out for some special purpose in God's and since we live after these things took place, Luke has done us this great service of writing them all down for us. And we don't have to find, wait to find out what John's purpose is. So, you got your Bible open already. Flip over two chapters to John chapter 3. And we can find out why all this happened. It was because in John, the Lord had given grace. He gave grace in the form of John to Elizabeth and then to Zechariah and then to the whole nation so they could have the opportunity for renewal and to be ready for Messiah's coming after him. So when John grew up, he went and lived in the wilderness. Okay? In the wilderness is on the uh, he actually is living specifically on the other side of the Jordan River in what is now country of Jordan. He lived over there, and he ate. This is great. 
uh, locusts, big grasshoppers, and wild honey. Okay, and he went about uh, in a coat made of, or actually like a robe kind of a thing, uh, made of camel's hair. Now, I once owned a camel hair coat. It was expensive. It was really nice, right? This is not that. This is like what poor people wove out of, like, whatever wool they could pick off the camel, okay? And and he's, he's wearing all the clothes that he owns, this camel hair nightgown, essentially, with a leather belt around his waist. And he's and he's been living in the wilderness. He's not going to the barber shop at all uh, because he's under a Nazarite vow for his life. So he must have looked pretty wild, right? But thousands of people are going out to him. He is the voice of one, according to Isaiah, crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley filled, every mountain and hill will be made low. The crooked will become straight, the rough places level ways, and all flesh will see the salvation of God. The point of John's ministry is to do that, to be the voice calling him to deliver. Why did he go to the other side of the Jordan? Because where did Israel get the law? When they, when, when Moses was about to die, where was he at? On the other side of the Jordan. Why is he calling people? to cross the river and go out to him in the wilderness on the other side of the river. Because he is saying to them, y'all, as a nation, we screwed up. We need to go back to the beginning before we went into the land and start over. We need a, a time of renewal we need to go back to where we were when we started and repent. And crossing and being baptized is symbolically passing through the waters of the Jordan. Just like the people, just like the people were led by Joshua through the water, he's saying you need to pass through the water and renew your relationship with God again. You need to and by the way, the whole idea of baptism was wildly offensive to Jews. Because you know who, who got baptized in Jewish culture? Down to today, by the way. If you got baptized, it was because you were a convert to Judaism. Okay? When you were a Jew, you were born a Jew, a child of Abraham. And you know how you knew? You got circumcised on the eighth day. You were a child of Abraham. You were a girl. You were kind of grandfathered in, if you will. Right? Uh, but if you were a boy, you were marked on your body. And the only way that you would get baptized is if you weren't born a Jew. And then they would circumcise you as an adult, which is exactly as exciting as that sounds. And then you would get baptized. 
John is saying, y'all, we need such a new start. We need to get all of us baptized so that we can start over in our relationship. So that we can be ready for Messiah. You need to be washed clean. You need to pass through the water of the Jordan over again like you did at the beginning and begin again your covenant with God. And if only you will repent of your sins, then and only then will you be ready for Messiah. For John is the last of these Old Testament prophets, and he had the most important mission of all, which was covenant renewal and preparation Let me just ask you this, another question. Why is John so important in the story? Why is his ministry included in the gospel account at all? Isn't the gospel all about Jesus? Well, yes. But John is here to underline some things that we are too easily tempted to forget. Number one, that God is still a God of great grace and mercy. Number two, that God still works to bring about circumstances in our lives that are designed to instill holy reverence in us. And number three, to call us to renewal in our relationship with God. Amen? John's ministry, his life, still speaks to us. And the truth is, even though thousands of Jews went out to be baptized by John. In fact, some estimates say 300,000 people went out to be baptized by John. The nation as a whole and its leaders when Messiah came were not ready for his coming, which was just, by the way, a short while after John began his ministry. They hadn't repented. They didn't see the need for a new relationship with God. They were content with where things stood. So they went out to see John. They checked that box. Got baptized. Did just what John said. I guess I'm ready. But their hearts were unchanged. So when Jesus came, they neither recognized him as Messiah nor believed in him as their Savior. And they missed him. By and large. Many Jews, many Jews did believe. Many, even to this day, still recognize Jesus as Messiah and, and have received him as Savior. But as a nation, no, they have not. They've missed the Messiah. But the point is this, that people who had the Scriptures, who had been taught to look for Messiah's coming, who'd gotten all of these weird circumstances surrounding John's birth, who had heard John say... This is the guy. Still missed him, even when his identity was clearly revealed to him. And you know what? Jesus is coming again. The reason we call this season Advent is Advent is a fancy word that means coming. So Jesus came. And we celebrate that to remind us that he is coming. He who came the first time will certainly not fail to come the second. And here's the deal. 
all of us, like them, have the Scriptures. Amen? If you don't have the Bible in your hand printed, you maybe have it on your phone. If you don't have either one, see me afterwards. We'll get you a printed one in your hot little hand and show you how to download it on your phone. All of us have the Scriptures. All of us have been taught to look for Messiah's coming. All of us have been given every opportunity to be ready for him when he does, but some of us might still miss him. You might miss him in one of a couple of ways. You might miss him eternally by refusing to put our faith in Jesus Christ, believing that he is the Son of God who died on the cross for our sins and was raised from the dead to give us new life. We might refuse that gospel message even though we've heard it a million times. Because what we want to do instead is get drunk or get high or sleep with our girlfriend or our boyfriend or watch porn or be greedy with our money or something more mundane like just wanting to live your life without having to listen to anybody, including God, tell me what to do. And if that's you, hear these words from John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3, verse 9. Even now, the axe is laid at the root of the tree. Every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. In other words, judgment is coming quickly. The axe is already at the root of the tree. So don't wait to repent. Don't wait. Don't wait to put your faith in Jesus Christ and escape the fire because you will not just miss the beauty of eternal life with God, you will miss joy eternally forever and eternally experience the consequences of your rejection of God, His Messiah, and the salvation that could have been yours. You'll miss it all. You will miss the point of your entire existence on this planet if you miss it in an eternal way. But even those of us who are believers in Jesus can miss Jesus in the here and now. Even as we're getting ready for Christmas. The busyness of the season can just distract us from the reason in the first place. We can kind of push Jesus to the side. Become too busy for worship, too busy for prayer, too busy to seek the Lord and hear from Him and His Word. Too distracted to remember that the purpose of our lives is to know, love, obey, follow Jesus and teach other people to do the same. Because Jesus loved us first. And you can tend to forget. And even though that's much less serious than the kind of missing Jesus that a non-Christian suffers from, you will still suffer from that. Because remember, beloved, the highest joys in life are not found in business. They are found sitting at the feet. 
So don't go running here and there and all that and miss sitting at the feet of the Master enjoying the presence. As much as you enjoy the presence that come along with the season. Amen? Here's the call for every one of us inspired by John the Baptist regardless of where you are in your relationship with Jesus today. Here, that, here it is. Two words. Begin again. Begin again. If you're not a Christian, put your faith in Jesus today. Beloved, do not wait on that. Today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear his voice, do not turn aside. <coughs> put your faith in Jesus. And if you do, you get to begin your entire life over again. Like it was the very first time. You'll get a new life, a new heart, a new beginning, entirely different from whoever and whatever you were before. You become a new creation. But if you're a Christian and you've wandered off somewhere, gotten ensnared in whatever. <coughs> Excuse me. Begin again. Repent of your wandering. Come back to the Lord. And as you do, you'll renew your joy. You'll be forgiven of your sin. And you'll be refreshed by the Lord Jesus. Amen. <coughs> God, our Father, I thank you that you are a good and a gracious God. A God who loves us as much as it is possible to be loved. A God who loves us more deeply, more wildly, with more to a greater extent than we can presently even fathom. A God of mercy. A God of holy God who delights to give good gifts to his children and who has given us the best one of all. Father, help us not to miss the glory of sitting at the feet of your son. Help us to celebrate him, to rejoice in him, to find our forgiveness and our renewal in him. Father, if there would be anyone here who no matter how many times they've heard it, never believed in Jesus, I pray that today would be the day that they do. You would make them a new creation. It is through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone by your grace alone that we come into a relationship with you and are made your children. And Father, we love that. It is so hard for us to even understand how you can give us that free gift. Father, I pray no one would walk out of here without receiving it. Father, we rejoice in all these things. And that you give us every day an opportunity to begin again in our relationship with you. And to get closer and closer and closer and closer to the God who loves us so that he sent his son. And Father, we rejoice in you. In Jesus.